Hello, and welcome to the Bethesda Podcast feed. It's here you can find all of our recorded services. And for more information, you can visit us at gobethesda.com. We hope you enjoy. This is part 36. This is Nahum, chapter 3. This is uh, the last chapter of the book of Nahum. We will finish it tonight. And we may introduce the book of Micah, which is our next big little book. So let's say a prayer. Father, thank you for your word and for your goodness and your mercy, your faithfulness, Lord. Help us to see truth in your word tonight. We'll give you praise for it in Jesus' name. Everybody say amen. Verses 1 through 4 of the third chapter of Micah. Woe to the bloody city. It is full of lies and robbery. Its victims, its victim never departs. The noise of a whip and the noise of rattling wheels, of galloping horses, of clattering chariots, horsemen charged with bright sword and glittering spear. There is a multitude of slain, a great number of bodies, countless corpses. They stumble over the corpses because of the multitude of harlotries, of the seductive harlot, the mistress of sorceries, who sells nations through her harlotries and families through her sorceries. Okay, that's complicated. Woe to the bloody city. So in this prophetic vision, remember this is not just a word that Nahum got. He describes it as a vision that he had. So in this prophetic vision, Nahum takes a tour of Nineveh. That's the way I see it. He's like on one of those open buses, you know, he's on the top level on the gray line and he's, he's, Maybe it's a TMZ tour through Nineveh, and he's, he's, he's doing this tour. And he gets to see up close and personal just how overripe it is for judgment. It's not just ripe, it's overripe. It's rotten. Judgment is coming. Like any city, there was the hustle and the bustle. And Nahum said it was full of the noise of a whip and the noise of rattling wheels, of galloping horses, of clattering chariots. But... Theirs was a dirty business, and so it's full of violence, deception. All of that business taking place is, is idolatry, witchcraft, sorceries, as mentioned a few times. There's this cruelty about Assyria. It's, uh, it's messed up. It's twisted. It's wicked. It's evil. Their leaders bragged about how twisted and cold-hearted they were. As a matter of fact, what they said about Nineveh was inscribed on pillars, pillars of stone that are in museums to this day. Their words are recorded, and they said things like this, and I don't want to be gruesome, but just listen to this. One ruler, and this is like Ashurbanipal, Sennacherib, and others, they said these things. Quote, I cut off their heads and formed them into pillars, unquote. Another one said, quote, I flayed Bubbo, son of Bubba. Well, that's kind of funny, other than what's happening to him, right? But Bub, who names, what Bubba names their son Bubbo? But I'm saying somebody did. But he said, listen, I flayed, okay, this guy in the city of Arbala and spread his skin on the city wall, unquote. It's terrible. And there's more of that. They were into 
that particular act of violence and putting the skin on the city wall. Another one said that. These are in museums today. Another one said the same thing, and, and they would put it on the wall, put it on pillars. One said, I cut off the limbs of the officers, the royal officers who, has, who had rebelled, cut off their limbs. Uh, one said, 3,000 captives I burned with fire. Another said, their corpses I formed into pillars. Another said, from some I, some I cut off their hands and fingers. From other I cut off their noses, their ears, their fingers. Many I put out their eyes. On and on. It's vicious and violent. It's war- and, and here's the deal. They're a threat. They're working against God's covenant people, God's plans and purposes. And so God's making the case against them, justifying the judgment that is soon to come. And it says that who sells the nations? Assyria sells the nations through her harlotries. If, if Nineveh was just doing all these bad things, it would be bad enough. But Assyria is influencing other nations into decadence and violence, spiritual idolatry. And so there's a spiritual side to this. That's why you see the, the sorceries and that harlotries. That's a spiritual uh, turning from the true and living God and worshiping other gods. One source says this, thousands of tablets uncovered in the Mesopotamian Valley show abysmal superstition. Hundreds of sorcery incantations have been brought to light. So they were into all kind of uh, witchcraft and, and uh, sorcery uh, type stuff. Verses 5 to 7. Behold, I am against you, says the Lord of hosts. I will lift your skirts over your face. I will show the nations your nakedness and the kingdoms your shame. I will cast abominable filth upon you, make you vile, and make you a spectacle. It shall come to pass that all who look upon you will flee from you and say, Nineveh is laid waste. Who will bemoan her? Where shall I see comforters for you? So notice, I am against you. Now, he said this before in chapter 2. I'm against you. And in that mention, he was speaking of the military defeat that was coming to Nineveh. In this one, he's emphasizing the humility that is going to be brought to this city because of the utter destruction. He says, behold, I am against you, says the Lord of hosts. So this is not just God is against you. We've seen this too. It's God of the heavenly host, the God of the angel armies. So not only is God against you, Nineveh, the host of heaven is against you. I I mean, it's just pretty bad when God's against you, but it's worse when the host he leads is against you as well. He says, I will lift your skirts over your face. I will show the nations your nakedness and the kingdoms your shame. So uh, this is showing how that he was going to humiliate them. Their dignity is going to be lost. This also, I mean, you could take this and say that I think it's pretty obvious, but, you know, if you were, how short is short? Well, if you lift your skirt above your head, that is a shame, okay? I will, I will lift your skirt over your face and you'll be naked and shameful. So that's, that's uh, he's going to humiliate them. And, and here's something that's interesting because he said to, to lift, are you with me? Yeah. Bec- the skirt 
was low. So it's like a robe, right? So the robe is hanging low, so there's no exposure. So they look dignified. Their dignity is intact. But that does not mean their, their heart is right. And I can preach on that as Christians. You know, we can have it all right on the outside and be rotten on the inside. It, it's not that the outside doesn't matter. God looks on the heart. Man looks on the outward appearance. The, the outside doesn't matter because he said, I'm going I'm to shame you by doing this. The outside matters. But you can have it all right on the outside and be dead wrong on the inside. And so he's saying, I'm going sh- to match the shame that's on the inside uh, on the outside. I'm going to reveal you for who you really are. It's an expose. I'm going to expose you. Uh, the vileness that's really on the inside. 1 Peter 5, 5 says this, Be clothed with humility, for God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Nineveh was a proud city. As a result of that, they had positioned themselves against the Lord. And by very definition, you position yourself against the Lord, then the Lord's against you. And it's much better to humble yourself before the Lord that you can receive help in the time of need. Humble yourself before the Lord so you can receive grace. And then he says, I will cast abominable filth upon you, make you vile, and make you a spectacle. The Hebrew is strong here. He will take the abominable filth. The Hebrew is shakutz. Shukuts, and it means I will cover you in that disgusting filth, that abominable filth. It's a disgusting filth and make you vile. The Hebrew word for vile is nabel, and it means to wither and to fade. He's saying the abominable filth is the idolatry, the false gods, the religious system that you have uh, set up. It's abominable to me. Your sorceries, your witchcraft, it's abominable to me. And, and I am going to, I'm going to cast that on you and make you vile and a spectacle. I'm going to make you, the wording is, Nabel, wither and fade. I will cause you to wither away and fade away. I will make you weak and vulnerable so that you will be made to look like Fools. Now that's stout. But that's the idea here. Nineveh had walked high in her pride, but she's going to be brought low. God's going to bring her low. And it says, with no one to comfort them. Where shall I see comforters for you? Remember the name Nahum means comfort. It means comfort. But... This word is not a comfort. Nahum's not a comfort to Nineveh. But what he's saying about Nineveh is a comfort to Judah. Because Judah has seen Assyria demolish the northern kingdom of Israel. And Josiah is afraid. And so this, this word, I'm going to take this enemy and make them to look like fools. I want to tell you something. God can take the enemy that's laughed and mocked you, laughed at you, mocked you threatened you, and and was lifted up so strong against you, and he can bring them down. Remember when God told Moses, he said, I'm going to cause you to glory over Pharaoh. He's just a shepherd with a stick 
Pharaoh is the morning and the evening. He's a deity in the eyes of the Egyptians in his own mind. He's a god. And he says, Moses, you're going to glory over this guy. There ain't nothing he can do. And he's ranting and raving. I'm going to do this and I'm going to do this. And he's beating the, Egypt, the, the Israelites. But God puts an anointing and a vision on Moses. And Moses is unstoppable to where when it's all said and done, there's a corpse that's washed up on the, the seashore and, and the glory uh, of Egypt is brought to nothing. Amen? God can do that in, in, in our lives as well. He's going to make them make Nineveh look like fools. Nineveh is going to look like fools. And, and so, check this out. The ancient Greek historian Diodorus Seculus wrote of the destruction of Nineveh. This is what he said. So great was the multitude of the slain that the flowing stream mingled with their blood, changed its color for a considerable distance. They plundered the spoil of the city, a quantity beyond counting. And then when it comes to the destruction and just disappearing into the sands of time, Adam Clark, writing before the discovery of the ruins of Nineveh in 1840, quotes an author commenting on the disappearance of the city. So this is, the city was discovered in 1840. It was gone for, you know, just uh, 2,300 years, something like that. Disappeared in the sands of time. This global empire disappeared. Before it was found in 1840, Adam Clark quotes a writer of his day. What probability was there that the capital city of a great kingdom, a city which was 60 miles in compass, a city which contained so many thousand inhabitants, a city which had walls a hundred feet high or more, and yet so totally was it destroyed that the place is hardly known where it was situated. Great as it was formerly, so little of it is remaining that authors are not agreed even about where it's situated. It's just amazing, man. When he brought them down, he brought them down. Can I tell you this? If God wants to bring you down, He can bring you down. But if God wants to bring you up, He can bring you up. And you'll be like that little cork at the bottom of the lake. You can try to hold that bad boy down, but He coming up. Ain't nothing going to stop Him. Ain't nothing going to stop Him. Nothing's going to stop you when the Lord wants to, when, when He wants to bring you up. Verses 8 through 11. Are you with me? Are you better... Then no Ammon that was situated by the river that had the waters around her, whose rampart was the sea, whose wall was the sea. Ethiopia and Egypt were her strength, and it was boundless. Put and Lubum were your helpers. Yet she was carried away. She went into captivity. Her young children also were dashed to pieces at the head of every street. They cast lots for her honorable men, and all her great men were bound in chains. You also will be drunk. You will be hidden. You also will seek refuge from the enemy. All right, what does that mean? Are you better than Noamon? Noamon's the Hebrew name for the Egyptian city of Thebes. Thebes. Thebes was wealthy a wealthy, mighty city that was absolutely destroyed. And you know who destroyed Thebes? Assyria, the Ninevites. So they knew absolutely what this word was saying. It was their army that wiped out Thebes. And, and he's like, don't you remember what happened 
to know Ammon, the same thing is going to happen to you. And this idea of they had these other places as their strength. They had, they had Ethiopia and, and the rest of Egypt and Put and Lubum. They, they had all these players around them that could strengthen them, that could help them, that su- could support them and sustain them. And yet they fell. And the idea is this. Ain't nothing going to stop what I'm doing to you, Assyria. It's going to happen. And so, verses 12 through 15, all your strongholds are fig trees with ripened figs. If they are shaken, they fall into the mouth of the eater. Surely your people in the midst are women. The gates of your land are wide open for your enemies. Fire shall devour the bars of your gates. Draw your water for the siege. Fortify your strongholds. Go into the clay and tread the mortar. Make strong the brick kiln. There the fire will devour you. The sword will cut you off. It will eat you up like a locust. Make yourself many like the locust. Make yourself many like the swarming locust. All right. How would you like my job? Right. I got to figure all this out. Your strongholds are fig trees and ripened figs. When I was growing up, we had a pear tree, 2307 Ashdown, Bossier City, Louisiana, 71111. And uh, my mom and dad had this super thick grass. I mean, it was crazy, man. Like, it was like super grass, like shag carpet. And, and I mean, it was like a thick foundation. And I had the responsibility of mowing the yard. I'm an only child. And I had to mow the yard. My dad didn't mow the yard. Donovan mowed the yard. And I didn't have a, a, a self-propelled mower. Then finally my dad felt sorry for me, got me a self-propelled mower. And I'd mow that big old yard, and it was just, it was miserable. It's like one of the childhood memories is miserable. Because that, it was so hard to mow that yard. It was so thick. And my dad's like, you know, don't scald it. Don't, you know, don't shave it all the way. Like, I need it just right. So I'd try to get it just right. It, just, it was just a miserable job. But one of the things that made that job even more miserable was this pear tree in the backyard. And when the pears started coming in, this was the most fruitful pear tree in North Louisiana. Like millions of pears just appeared. And, and, you know, we didn't tend to it like we should. And they'd start falling off. And they'd fall all under the pear tree. They'd start rotting. Uh, and, and then here comes the wasp and the bees and the hornets and like every other stinging insect. And, and it was my responsibility to mow the yard including the grass under the tree. And I still remember to this day, oh, God, this is like terrible memory thinking about it. Just I'm pushing that mower, you know, and, and I'm like, I get ready. I'm like, okay, there's like a swarm of wasps and bees and all kind of critters in there. And so I would be, and, and the limbs are hanging down. They're bowed over, you know. I, we should have picked all the pears, but we didn't. We, we would. I'm telling you, we had bags of pears, but they would just keep coming in. And so I would kind of like, on your mark, get set, you know, Jesus, help me, you know, take the wheel, Lord. And I'd be like, I'd like run through there, and it would hit those pears, Joel. So it's like, like spinning stuff all over the place. And I'm just trying to, and and then, you know, now you got juicy pears out. And then, you know, so every wasp in the neighborhood just like, 
you know, comes there. And I would try to get, it was just, I'll never forget the smell of ripe, overripe, and rotting pears as long as I live. Like just on and on and on. That's what I thought of when I read this. Your strongholds are fig trees with ripened figs. As easily as ripe fruit falls from a shaking tree, your strongholds, Nineveh, are going to fall before the judgment of God. Like, you're ripe for the picking. We often have our strongholds of sin and pride. We put up a great defense, but if God's going to bring you down, God can bring you down. Fire shall devour the bars of your gates. Archaeologists have documented the burning of Nineveh. James Montgomery Boyce says the excavators of Nineveh have remarked on the large deposits of ash, which are evidence of a gigantic conflagration. That's a way of saying fire. Then he says, draw your water for the siege. Nahum practically mocked the people of Nineveh, cheering them on to do the best they could in light of coming judgment. They could prepare, get as many provisions, they could prep as much as they pleased, but it's all going to come to nothing when the judgment comes down. Verses 16 through 19. You have multiplied your merchants more than the stars of heaven. The locust plunders and flies away. Your commanders are like swarming locusts and your generals like great grasshoppers. Which camp in the hedges... Uh, which camp in the hedges on a cold day. When the sun rises, they flee away, and the place where they, are, where they are is not known. Your shepherds slumber, O king of Assyria. Your nobles rest in the dust. Your people are scattered on the mountains, and no one gathers them. Your injury has no healing. Your wound is severe. All who hear news of you will clap their hands over you, for upon whom has not your wickedness passed continually? So you get this merchants, commanders, generals, shepherds, nobles. These are classes of leaders that were numerous in Nineveh. But they would all be ineffective and come to nothing in the day of judgment. Merchants multiplied like the stars. So at this time, their economy is on fire. It's booming. But it was all going to crash, kind of like our market is crashing right now. Commanders like locusts. Generals like grasshoppers. In other words, there's so many. Your army is huge. Your commanders and generals are, there's so many of them, and they're so effective. They're so destructive, but they're going to disappear in a day. They're going to get wiped out in a day. Your shepherds and nobles, the ones that are minding the flocks and the fields, and the ones that are the rulers, your, your shepherds and your nobles, from the lowest to the highest, are dead. In other words, Nineveh. All the systems and structures and processes that made you, you, and made you function, they're all about to dis disappear, and you're about to have a wound that is so severe that it cannot heal. So despite their numbers, the people are going to be scattered on the mountains, and no one gathers them. The sinful and rebellious leadership of Nineveh would be powerless, Guzik says, against the judgment of God. 
And then he says, all who hear news of you will clap their hands over you. So Nahum ends his prophecy, this vision, with a view of the righteous and their triumph over unrighteousness. And it's saying this, that as amazing as you were, and as powerful as you were, the size of your footprint, that global f- footprint that you had, uh, it, it's all going to disappear. And all the people that were kissing up to you and making treaties with you and trying to get you to be on their side, they're, when, you, when you go, they're going to clap their hands and rejoice because of your violence and your cruelty. It's, it's a powerful, powerful word. Devastating to Nineveh, but to Josiah, as we've discussed, to Josiah is an encouraging word. That enemy is about to be wiped out. Um, Asaph dealt with this. I'm going to preach about this uh, sometime soon, but in the 73rd Psalm, Asaph, uh, you know, he said, he said, I looked at the prosperity of the wicked and I was blown away. How in the world are they doing so good? You know, Josiah in Judah, that's what he was saying. I just led a national revival, and Assyria is doing so good over here, and they're threatening me and breathing down my neck. When Nahum has a word for him, Nineveh's coming to nothing. When in the 73rd Psalm, Asaph is having the same struggle. He's like, the wicked are prospering, and I'm trying to do the right thing, and I just don't understand. And we say David, it's really a psalm of Asaph, but he said, I was, I was so distraught until I went to the house of the Lord. And I got some perspective, and I saw the end of the matter. Surely you set them in slippery places. You cast them down to destruction, and they are brought to desolation, as in a moment they are utterly consumed with terrors. So for Nahum, for Asaph, and for us today, let me tell you this. Take comfort in knowing that not only is God going to take care of you, but your enemies, they're not going to be a problem for you. They're not going to be a problem. In the end, they're not going to be a problem for you at all. In Jesus' name. Amen. Won't you stand with me right now? Well, this is just about good timings. I don't have to kick off the book of Micah. You can go read the book of Micah. It's, uh, it's got some great stuff in there. Most of these books have a lot of doom and gloom. But always remember the doom and gloom of Nahum was the happy clappy for Josiah. He was, he was rejoicing over that word that Nahum gave uh, to Nineveh. So we have finished with the book of Nahum. Let me just say this. God knows where you are. God knows what you're facing. Weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. The same sorceries, the spirit realm that was back there is in this world today. Nothing's changed. It is a spiritual warfare that we are in. Ideas are not just ideas. They're ancient ideas that are whispered to us. Religion is not just something man dreamed up. It was whispered to somebody by a spirit being. Like what we deal with, this system, the systems of this world, the devil's called the God of this world. And Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil in this world system. And we are the opposition. So we go into all the world and we preach the gospel to the nations. 
And there's so much that can be said about those nations. The dividing of the nations at Babel. Even back in the book of Deuteronomy, we see it in the 32nd chapter. The dividing of the nations and the angelic host, the Elohim, the, the devil and the fallen angels that were given realms that they, they governed and they dominated. If you believe Jesus, you got to believe that stuff as well. And even in this dominion here of Louisiana in the United States, in Ascension Parish, East Baton Rouge, wherever you are, Here's the deal. There are spirits and principalities that are messing with you and with me. But greater is He that's in us than He that's in the world. Be encouraged. The end of the matter is all that matters, y'all. The main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. Jesus is Lord. He's on the throne. God is exalted. The devil's a liar. The devil's defeated. And ultimately, we will see the kingdoms of this world become the kingdoms of our God and of His Christ and of the increase of His government and peace. There shall be no end. We're on the winning side because of the blood of the Lamb. Hallelujah. Why don't you give Him some praise right now? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for joining us. And for more information, you can visit us at GoBethesda.com. You can also visit us in person at 15050 Daigle Road, Prairieville, Louisiana. Services are at 10 a.m. Sunday and 7 p.m. on Wednesday.